Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest-hitting social issues in sports. On today's show, when Congress released a 20-page investigation into an NFL team, you know we have to discuss it on the podcast that intersects sports and social issues. My name is Chad Wiley, and with me, as always, is John Nekrasov. And John, I don't know if the people can hear the difference, but I've changed my scenery today, and so the the Zoom background behind me is a little bit more interesting than it it normally is when I'm sitting in our office recording studio. It's true. I, I can confirm. It's a very, it's actually a very interesting place because I have I've slept in there in this this current office setup. There, <clears throat> Chad's room is simply adorned with fan merch which you know his office at work is also adorned with fan merch so yeah. you'd think that like it's not really surpassable because he has like I've, i feel like it's got to be upwards of 40 funko pops on his desk that may be an exaggeration but there is a lot of them but somehow there's more fan merch things in this office uh, and that's which is really a remarkable achievement chat so hats off to you i can tell you that my my actual funko pop collection across whatever spaces I keep them in is currently numbered at, hold on, I have the app, so I have a catalog. You have a Funko Pop app? Are you serious? Yeah, there's an app. Oh my word. Uh, 45. Yeah, 45. That's pretty good. So, I've got yeah. I've got three, I think. Oh, that's so, pretty good. You've got me beat by a long shot. And, and to be fair, you've got a Funko Pop of yourself. I do, which and Megan. Which I feel like is like another another step up even yeah. above everyone else like yeah. even if you had a lot of funko pops like that's that means like you can only do that if you've been there right that's correct to the headquarters. It's, yeah, it's in washington uh north of seattle and if you ever go on my social media my profile picture is a picture of my my funko pop version of myself so which is just immaculate vibes yeah yeah genuinely <laughs> John, it's good to see you. You, we had a, we didn't, we had a little bit different recording schedule this week because you were in uh, Nashville for a for a concert. I was. I drove eleven hundred miles in two days to go see my my man's John Mayer with my sister. She is getting ready to graduate high school. Shout out to Naomi. And so it, the time came. He was going to be in Nashville all over my weekend, and I said, you know what, we are going to make this happen. And it was an experience like no other, genuinely, as the super fan that I am. You know, not all people are John Mayer super fans, which is fine. But it was hilarious, genuinely. Seeing one of the funniest things was just seeing the like the the clientele of people who were there was not what I expected at all. It was like a just twenty thousand like mega chill people. Like you just felt the chill vibes throughout the entire arena the entire time. And it was all basically like older millennials and their parents. That's awesome. Well, that, yeah. That's a vibe that I feel like you fit in very easily. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so yes, it was a good weekend. Good. I'm glad. Um, I had a good week as well. I'm going to see Fantastic Beasts, the third one today, which I'm pretty excited about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about that franchise for a minute? I please. feel like that's like that's within. I haven't caught up on Moon Knight because I've been out of town. So like that that there's a gap right there. We can take Moon Knight. We don't have to do it every single week. We can take it a couple at a time. Yeah, I'm just in terms of pop culture things. I feel like we haven't talked a lot of Harry Potter on here, and I feel like the Fantastic Beasts franchise. We've talked about it a little bit. Um, we we're talking about it a little bit before we started recording. Is an interesting. It's an interesting prospect to me, and I, I feel like it's been a botched opportunity, kind of. Well, what what do you think the opportunity? was like what 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 would you prefer that a prequel of harry potter be 
Well, yeah, I guess I, I'm always hesitant to even, like, promote the idea of, of prequel movies. Right. You know, unless there's a really good reason for them to happen. And there were so many Harry Potter movies. There were, like, was there seven or eight? There, was eight, there were eight. Right? Yeah, eight. There were eight Harry Potter movies. Like, that is a lot of Harry Potter movies. There's not a strong need for there to be more, you know, given how much she developed the entire book series, right? And this is not real book content in the same right. way. Right, that's correct. So, so I, you know... The, there's a there was a chance I feel like to kind of take the Harry Potter universe and sort of expand it in a different direction tonally, which I think they've tried to do, but I don't know. I've just felt like the story has just kind of felt non compelling to me in comparison. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that like I needed to see opening night. It wasn't like I was, yeah. it wasn't like a lot of buzz in it for me. I wasn't even sure if I was going to go see it until this week, but I I did. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm interested. I mean, I liked the second one enough. I know mm-hmm. that it's weird because they made that big casting change, which right. is which is like I always dislike in the franchise casts a, a different role. Like in the middle of a franchise, it always just rubs me the wrong way, but you know, it is what it is. I think it'll be interesting. I'm I am genuinely excited for the possibility of the relationship between Dumbledore and Grindelwald and seeing young Dumbledore is mm-hmm. as always something that interests me because that's a character that I have a lot of love for. Like one And Jude my, Law is just a king. Yeah. Correct. But like le- legitimately probably like one of my top 2 or 3 favorite characters in all of fiction mm. is Albus Like Dumbledore. in the books. In the yeah. books specifically, yeah. yeah. Mm. So I'm always down to see see more of him. Interesting. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, so. Huh. Um, anyway, anyway. We're yeah, not going to no, talk I, about Moon Knight, but um, I will give a report. I'll give you a movie report on Fantastic Beasts. Please the do. other thing is that we should talk about everything everywhere all at once. Once you see it, John, you should yes. see that movie. Is it That's, out on streaming things? I can't even remember no, now. No, it's theaters only right, only right okay. now. I don't know right. when it's going to stream, but uh, hopefully pretty soon. It's, it's a great, 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 great movie. Yeah, I've it, heard only good things. Yeah. Only good things. So only, truly, only good things. <laughs> and there's plenty of uh, sports, John. Like I mentioned at the top, our big story. We're going to talk about this really bombshell investigative report by mm-hmm. the House of Representatives into the Washington Commanders, which is just weird to even say the words Washington Commanders. Yeah, but, that's just still strange. But but uh, so you wanted to talk about some. Uh, some interesting ongoings in, in in the European soccer world, specifically with a couple teams in England who are on a collision course to potentially decide three of the biggest competitions in world soccer. Yeah, it's been remarkable. Um, Manchester City and Liverpool, their rivalry continues to go from strength to strength in the last few years since Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola have taken over uh, at those clubs. It has been remarkable to see what they've done with those teams and even in years where one of them feels weaker than the other they so often build themselves back up to a point where they're competing against each other at the highest level and this year you know city city kind of ran away with the title last year this year it the premier league titles like decided by a point right now in terms of the gap between liverpool and city they tied 2-2 at the weekend um, and it was a pretty tight game and, you know, if one of them had won, that may have decided the title race. But as it is, they're both kind of still locked in there. They, uh, is it on Saturday, I think? They play in the semifinals of the FA Cup, either Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. Which, you know, will basically decide 
potentially who ends up winning the FA Cup. And then they could also potentially meet in the final of the Champions League to also decide that if they beat, um, I guess, Real Madrid and Villarreal. That's right. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Manchester City would have to beat Real Madrid and mm-hmm. Liverpool would have to beat Villarreal across the two legs. So, right. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an interesting situation, and, and I think this is kind of a testament to the work that both coaches, you know, we've talked about it a lot, but the work that both coaches have done at those clubs has been genuinely remarkable, that they have taken them from, you know, relatively shaky positions when they, where they were when they both started at those clubs to basically being the best two teams in the world. Um, and my money would be on both of them to make the final, given their opposition. Yeah, I would assume so. That probably would be the most probability, mm. like most favored matchup. And like Real are, could they make are it, the two best teams. Yeah, so that's I think that's been that's been really interesting. You know, we've talked a lot about the financial power of English soccer, and obviously there's a lot that goes into that. But both teams aren't just like spending money willy nilly. Like they are buying genuinely good players that are actually augmenting their squads every time, and you see it in the way they're constructing their teams like you know city may buy erling holland this summer for like obscene amounts of money <clears throat> but most of the time city doesn't spend money like that yeah and liverpool's already started to transition their forward line with the acquisitions mm-hmm. of luis diaz and diego jota to kind of like offset the old the two older mm-hmm. uh players two of their older forwards i think from a historical perspective i'm interested in this these these sets of uh matchups because they're all very high stakes and mm-hmm. i wonder like what is it that makes a a great rivalry, right? And so one of those things is obviously if you're geographically situated close to each other, that's the most natural breeding grounds for a good rivalry. But I think right. another thing is like consistently meeting each other in big games becomes a rivalry, right? So like mm-hmm. that's how you get Lakers Celtics as a rivalry. It's not that they're close to each other; they're actually on opposite coasts, but they kept on meeting in the finals, and so it became a rivalry. And right. I wonder if we're seeing the beginnings of one of the bigger rivalries in world soccer right now. If these two teams mm-hmm. keep hitting each other in these super high stakes games, deciding the Premier League, deciding the domestic cup, deciding the Continental Cup, if that keeps happening for a few more seasons, this could become one of the most significant rivalries in sports by the two teams who are definitively the two best teams in the world right now. So mm-hmm. I think it's not something to keep an eye on. I know they've had title races between the two of them in the Premier League even in the last couple of years last three or four years so yeah. it's, it's it's interesting to think about like is this going to be a budding rivalry that we're going to keep seeing and I think a lot of that will depend on how long these two coaches stay at these two mm-hmm. clubs yeah I think that's an interesting an interesting feel is how much of this rivalry is because of those two coaches being there um, and just the levels of excellence we've like we've, we did various categories of sporting rivalries and whenever we did that episode on sporting rivalries back in the day and obviously it's a completely different feeling from like unc duke as we talked about right. um you know a few weeks ago where it's there's a proximity in this feeling of long history together here this <clears throat> rivalry is built off of like something like five-ish years of just continued excellence being the best teams in the world and all of a sudden just kind of being thrown up against each other all the time. I think that creates a, a very unique rivalry. I don't know if it's, it depends if it's a lasting rivalry or not. Like it may not be one that in 20 years still has the same feeling with different coaches and different players. Yeah. But for yeah. now, very much, it 
is one of those games that I think is some of the most anticipated in world soccer period right now, if not the most. Yeah, and it'd be a, it'd be a massive Champions League final if it happened. Mm-hmm. We had an all an all England final last year with Chelsea and Manchester City, and that was that did big. But I think this would be even bigger. Given and I think the, it'd be much more interesting tactically too. Yeah, yeah. As as good as Chelsea, as good as Tuchel is. Right, but. and like we're looking at where the the three best coaches are basically those three guys, mm-hmm. and so like it's 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 interesting how big of a deal coaching is in these sports where the best teams usually do have the best coaches, and you know when you're a club that has five or six coaches in a decade, you might not be doing as well. I, I, I just like, to that. Just a, yeah, just a little shout out to PSG. I don't know if I've mentioned this on this podcast recently, um, but we talked about them as potentially, you know, collecting one of the best clubs and best uh, squads in world soccer. They were, you know, they were the a summer. super team. Yeah. Yeah. And it has been just truly remarkable and joyous to see how a mismanaged club with tons of money and resources is still completely capable of failing. Um, even with the best players in the world, and that just it it, it brought me joy. The suffering so thanks. of others brings you joy. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's it's called Schadenfreude, I think, in the German. Okay. Okay. <laughs> John, something I want to talk about is the NBA playoffs started on Tuesday. Was the first of the play-in games, and mm-hmm. you know today we're going to have the last two of the play-in games where. You know, it's the the loser of the seven and eight seed game versus the winner of the nine and ten seed game. Winner gets to be the eight seed in the playoffs. And I don't want to really like dive into the matchups necessarily, but I, I I do think that this idea of this play in tournament is a concept that other leagues, for example, the NHL, National Hockey League, should consider adopting. Mm-hmm. And I think when I've thought about the playoffs, I think something that I just wanted to like bring up here and think about is the idea that you hear two competing arguments the people who support a more exclusive playoffs with less teams will usually say that that makes the regular season more impactful regular season games matter more when you have fewer fewer playoff teams so like college football you have four teams so basically any loss is almost an elimination two losses basically is an eliminate like you basically can't lose twice Basketball, for example, this year, two-thirds of all teams had a chance at the playoffs. You know, 10 in each conference out of, that's 20 out of 30 total teams. So 66% mm-hmm. of teams had a chance at making the playoffs with the play-in tournament. And I guess I just think that where I come down on this argument between having more and having less teams is that having more teams gener- keeps the interest of the of the sport longer in, in different local fan bases, right? So mm-hmm. like this play-in tournament gives four additional teams, the nine and 10 seed in each conference, something to root for come playoff time. And I think that like ultimately the playoffs are a league's time to showcase their sport, to showcase mm-hmm. what they have, to showcase their best players on in games that matter more. And I think that when you have more teams in that showcase and more fans supporting teams in that playoff showcase, I think that ultimately ends up being a net positive for the sport because it keeps more teams interested, whereas otherwise they might not have been. And the other thing is that it also gives a team who might objectively not have played well but has mm-hmm. like an excuse, like an injury or something, a way to get in. So like if you have a great if if your player gets hurt for the whole season and you you, you end up in the ten seed, you'd be out normally. But with the playing tournament, if your player comes back healthy all of a sudden you're like a wild card in the playoffs, you have your player back healthy, you actually were better than 10 seed all along if he had been healthy, and so now you get a chance to go 
Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I like it. I think more teams should consider it, and that's just where I come down on it. Well, I think that's, uh, uh, interestingly, a a line of reasoning that's been followed in certain other areas, too. Um, Think about the, uh, the UEFA Nations League for qualifying for the World Cup and stuff, you know, where you have kind of this massive extra, like, tournament that's kind of happening throughout the year with soccer friendlies that basically allows every like international game that countries play to be a little bit more meaningful and also gives you a shot at world cup qualification basically uh which i think has added a lot of extra jeopardy and made people more interested in the international schedule as a whole because you have you know smaller teams that normally wouldn't really have a shot at things having a little bit more of a shot at making it big um so i think that's i think that's fair and is a reasoning that you know isn't just confined to the nba right now um so i think i think you're right i think that you know it's not like you're just making the playoff field bigger um in terms of the actual playoffs which i don't i don't love the idea of that usually because i think that does kind of dilute the product right um but i think the idea of adding a little bit more jeopardy and giving people a shot does make for more compelling viewing well and it's kind of like the first four in the march madness tournament mm-hmm. where it's yeah. not you're not getting a whole series you're not getting you know the nine times you don't aren't guaranteed a seven game series but they at least are given a chance it's kind of fun at being one-off games too mm-hmm. yeah one-off games are always fun yeah and i that's part of what i love about march madness because like if you know if you had you know a one seed playing a 16 seed you know, that already doesn't happen very often. But, like, you know, you put up Kentucky against St. Peter's. You make them play a best-of-three series. Probably Kentucky would win that mm-hmm. yeah. every time. Yeah. But just in a one-off game, St. Peter's has a chance out of the blue to do something insane, you know? Right, right. And that, you know, creates great storylines, which is what we want in sports. Yeah, in a seven-game series, the best team almost always wins. Right. And that's why normally you can say that the team that wins the NBA championship is definitively the best team. Right. Whereas in in in, uh, in the NFL and other in other sports, it's not necessarily that way. Mm-hmm. Um, even in even in baseball or in hockey, where the game's a little bit more like streaky, like oh, you have a great goalie, or you have oh, like one player is really really hot on the like hitting in baseball. But mm-hmm. in basketball, normally the consensus is that unless if not for injuries, the best team wins the championship. Right. And yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. Any other sports stories on your mind, John? Obviously, we haven't talked since the Masters ended. I see, yeah, I see that you want to talk about that, so we can and talk about that. Yeah, I just think it. that, you know, the the headline, of course, was Tiger, who made the cut, played the weekend, didn't shoot mm-hmm. well, but walked the course four times, did 72 holes, and then committed to playing the Open Championship in in, uh, in England in the summer. Oh, did so, he really? Mm-hmm. He's going to play St. Andrews, wow. which is a very, very flat non <laughs> course that is going to be right up Tiger's Alley. Yeah. It's incredibly flat. And so it's almost That's perfect good. for That's him. Good. Yeah. But, um, so, I mean, his performance, obviously, like, his biggest issue was that he just didn't have a feel for the greens because he mm-hmm. actually hadn't played a spring Masters since 2019 when he won. And the, the other, other Masters he had played since then was the November Masters, which, obviously, mm-hmm. the course conditions were very different given that it was right. a different time of year. But for someone who had not played competitive golf in a very long time and had not really like putted on at Augusta in a long time. Mm-hmm. Obviously he struggled mostly with the putter, but he hit the ball well. And um, obviously his limp did get worse, but that's, that's, that's the big story. But the story I actually wanted to talk about was the guy who won Scotty Scheffler because what he's doing and the, the pace that he's been on in the past month 
has been quite historic because he now has four career wins and all of those wins came after the Super Bowl of, Which of is this insane. year. Yeah. So he has he has four he had with the Masters, that was his fourth win in six starts. Which almost never happens, mm-hmm. given how like how strong and how like many golfers compete at each tournament. Given how many good golf, given how much luck is revolved in winning, like it really doesn't happen that a person goes on that kind of a winning streak. Winning back to back is almost unheard of. Winning right. four out of six is really really remarkable, and so that's a cool story. And the other part of the story that's really cool. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Scotty Scheffler went to the same high school as Clayton Kershaw and Matt Stafford. Really? And all three of them have won championships since 2020. So that's kind no, of No, cool. I did Cause, not. Cause that's Kersh- so funny. Kershaw won his first World Series in 2020, and mm-hmm. then obviously Stafford won his first Super Bowl on the same day that Scotty Scheffler got his first PGA win, and mm-hmm. then a few weeks later, Scotty Scheffler followed it up with the Masters. So, what a goaded high school. Yeah, that's a pretty... <laughs> it'd be pretty cool to go to that high school right now. <laughs> that's crazy. But now that's all I have to say about the Masters. Uh, Scotty Scheffler looked like he was playing a completely different course from everyone else because mm-hmm. he was just so much better than everyone else. Yeah, I kept up with it, and he was just steaming yeah. ahead of everyone yeah. by a long shot. Like all the all the gamers I was reading were like, "Yeah, so there's the field, and then there is Scotty Scheffler way over like, by himself. <laughs> he's just literally out here balling." Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, again, shout out to Tiger, who obviously you know just existing was great. So yeah. Anything else on your mind, John, before we take a break and go to the big story this week? No, I think I think let's let's cut it. Okay, well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be back with the Washington commander story. We have the report from Congress, and you will not want to miss that. So stay tuned. And we are back on Crunching Tackles with the big story this week. And John, this was kind of a bombshell, like I said earlier, that really caused a lot of headlines and is going to be a story that's going to stick with this sport, the NFL, for a long time. Congress, a committee, a congressional committee from the House of Representatives, sent a 20-page letter to the Federal Trade Commission that alleges that the Washington Commanders, the NFL team in Washington, previously the uh, Washington Redskins, used unlawful financial practices for like almost like half a decade now. Mm-hmm. This allegation basically means that it's saying that they kept two different sets of books. This is coming from the New York Times article. In order to conceal hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue that was supposed to be shared with the 32 NFL franchises. The Washington team also took intentional steps to keep as much as $5 million in refundable security deposits from customers, including an account registered by the commissioner Roger Goodell. <laughs> so they were allegedly defrauding Roger Goodell's personal account personal prior to deposit. prior to him being commissioner, I believe. That's right. Yeah, these allegations mm-hmm. date as far back as 15 years. Um, and just to clarify, this was actually the the House Oversight Committee was actually investigating the sexual harassment. That's right. what the committee was organized to to, to investigate. And in the process of investigating sexual harassment, they found this other thing that that could end up being more damaging to the franchise. Uh, the last thing I want to say about it is just as a matter of um, reference, it is the rule in the NFL that 
34% of ticket revenue is shared with the other 31 teams and players. It's kind of like, it's not, there is not a 100% revenue sharing. So it's not like every team receives equal revenue. Mm-hmm. It's not like one big pot, but there is a percentage of each team's ticket sales that do go to the other, that is part of a revenue sharing plan. And like I said, it's 34% of your ticket revenue goes into a revenue sharing pot that is then split evenly with all 32 teams. And right. so uh, they were allegedly defrauding that that fund, that shared revenue fund, and also defrauding, defrauding customers with their security deposits, which this, which this investigation found while actually trying to investigate something else and arguably more morally wrong, which is, well, not even arguably, substantially more morally wrong which is the sexual harassment of cheerleaders and mm-hmm. and franchise employees. So all in all, John, a really horrible day for Dan Snyder and the Washington Commanders. Yeah, the Washington Commanders, you know, this is not the first time that we have talked about this club uh, on this podcast for a variety of reasons. Obviously, starting, I think, I think the first time we talked about it was about about the workplace harassment um, allegations and investigation that have been happening over the last few years. It is increasingly clear the longer these investigations go and the more they uncover that the Washington Commanders is an organization that is simply shot through with corruption and just frankly, just bad people all the way through. Uh, It's, you expect it to happen in the sports world, kind of like we talked about with um, recruiting violations uh, last episode, but Washington feels like it's on another level, almost. It feels like there is level to the corruption that Dan Snyder both engages in and allows in this in his organization that is genuinely remarkable in a very bad way. Um, I'm talking from the Washington Post here. It, what's interesting is these allegations that are in this letter from con- from the congressional committee um, largely comes from the allegations of. Jason Friedman, who was a former vice president of sales and customer service, worked at the franchise for 24 years. Um, and so a lot of this information comes directly from him. Washington has said, you know, that everything he's saying is complete bogus, that, you know, he's just a disgruntled employee, but he apparently has records to show for all of his claims. And so Washington is not, it's not just hearsay. Washington does have to go up against the records that he claims he has, uh, which I don't think are like in the public access right now, but we know that Congress has them. So it's a pretty serious situation and it does sound, given the nature of the letter, that there's probably something to these allegations actually being true. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were 100% true, right? Which, you know, then brings into question, you know, kind of what's going to happen with both Dan Snyder's ownership of the team, with, you know, how... The team is going to be punished both in terms of the NFL and also federally um, because these things do amount, if true, to breaking the law. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah. that gets interesting and not even touching the harassment stuff, which is obviously still ongoing. Yeah, like you said, Jason Friedman, if as long as these emails that he, he gave to the committee, as long as those can be proven to be authentic, they are quite mm-hmm. damaging. They, these emails quite explicitly state that, you know, the, the idea of like fudging numbers, having separate books, moving revenue to other places to hide it from these league audits, these NFL audits and things like that. It, it's quite damaging stuff. But John, I do want to spend most of our time talking about 
what you just mentioned with the idea of Dan Snyder, the owner, and like his ability to keep the team and the punishments that he might be facing. Mm-hmm. You know, 10 months ago, he was fined uh, $10 million, which was a, or the team was fined $10 million, which was a very, very significant fine at the time for the league's investigation into the sexual harassment against Washington Commanders front office employees. That did not prevent Congress from doing their own investigation, which is still ongoing. But I think what I want to talk about and what I've been thinking about and, you know, the name that always comes to my mind, the name that I've mentioned many times on this podcast is Donald Sterling, Mm -hmm. the former owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, who was forcibly removed from his ownership position. More recently, we see Roman Abramovich being somewhat forced to sell his team. He obviously didn't have to. He could just like live with the sanctions, but for all practical purposes, he needed to sell. He has to sell his team in the wake of his uh, ties to to Russia and to Vladimir Putin. And I think what I want to talk about is like what should and should not be the moral ground to take a really really drastic measure against an owner like this. Because mm-hmm. I think something that we've talked about a lot with the NFL is this idea that they always seem to be pretty hypocritical in the stances that they take, especially in regards to like financial things where something might be, if something is morally wrong, they might give a slap on the wrist, but if something hurts their bottom line, mm-hmm. then they come down with the full force of the law. And I don't know, it would just be the worst possible look for this league if they decide to forcibly remove Dan Snyder from ownership, not because he knew and covered up years of sexual harassment in his front office, but rather because of finances, which obviously mm-hmm. finances are important too. But when we're talking about the moral reasons why someone should lose ownership, like again, Donald Sterling was removed from ownership for saying racist things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was because of the player empowerment in the NBA and the fact that actual NBA players took a stand and were like, we're not going to have this. Mm-hmm. You remember, I remember Chris Paul and all the Clippers coming out with their warm-up jerseys on inside out so that it wouldn't even show the Clippers logo because they, you know, they were going to play, but they didn't want to associate with the team and with the logo and with the franchise for as long as Donald Sterling remained the owner. And because of that, Adam Silver took the stand to remove him. And so I guess I just wonder, like, in this case, John, should Dan Snyder lose the team? And even if this financial stuff had never happened, should he have lost the team anyway because of the other things going on? Or how does the financial element impact whether or not we think that he should a loose team or what other kind of punishments he or the team should face. Right. Yeah, I think I think a large part of it is you know, the legal since there is a legal process going on say with the like with the workplace harassment stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if that decision was held off on until the investigation is finished, right? Um I think if there is if he is found to be legally culpable, which, you know, I think we all kind of know that he is, um, and there's even details of him harassing people, right? But if he is actually found legally to be culpable in those situations specifically, I would not be surprised to see him be kicked out. Um, it does seem like, you know, given how the NFL, I believe I, maybe it was a year or two ago where they kind of declined to publish the findings of their investigation at one point, mm-hmm. which kind of raised a lot of clamor that, you know, the NFL was trying to protect Dan Snyder. And then, you know, the investigation is now, you know, Congress is obviously taking part in it. It has been stepped up a level. I don't know. I think I think if our standard for 
owners is to be good people. Dan Snyder should have been on a long time ago, right? You know, I don't think I don't think that's how the business world works. You know, I don't have an expectation that all the sports, the owners of all the franchises in the NFL are going to be good people. I kind of expect that they'll be bad people. Um, but I think it's interesting. Like if if we're going to be firing people for saying racist things, right? Someone says something and you say, "All right, you are done," right? I do feel like we're already a step beyond that with Dan Snyder, if not like eight steps beyond that, right? And so in that in that kind of context, you know, forcing a vote, the NFL. I was reading kind of on on Fox Business, kind of just an overview of kind of some of the disciplinary action that's been taken against the NFL owners in the past. You know, Robert Kraft uh, in Deflategate comes to mind. Um, but no NFL owner has ever been ousted like Donald Sterling in the NBA. So this would be a massive step, right, in the NFL's history. And it does seem like the NFL would be a little bit loath to do that, which isn't, I don't think that's good. But my guess would be until the congressional investigation is done, they would not even consider trying to oust him. Yeah, and I, I was just thinking about the, this again and like a, a whole other part of this that I completely forgot about until now is the fact that the reason why John Gruden was fired, which we talked about, was mm-hmm. because his emails were discovered as part of this investigation against Washington. Right. Because the person he was emailing was Bruce Allen, who was then the team's president, and that's the person that 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 John Gruden was saying misogynistic and homophobic things to. They were exchanging topless pictures of Washington cheerleaders on that email chain. And the only reason we know that John Gruden engaged in that behavior was because he was emailing with the team who was then later under investigation. And he felt comfortable sending misogynistic, homophobic language to the president of the Washington football team. So, like, I don't know if we can say, like, there's any one thing that's going to impact this punishment. If you look at the, like, there's so much to it. There's the finances, there's the sexual harassment, there's the misogynistic homophobic language. There's so many different elements to what this team has doing Mm -hmm. that stands out really beyond any other precedent we have, right? You know, people were calling for, like, Jerry Jones right now and the last Cowboys are having their own issues with sexual harassment in the workplace with with team executives and the cheerleaders. You Mm -hmm. know, Donald Sterling engaged in in racist and uh, racist language. And we've seen teams use financial malpractice. The the Dallas Mavericks have been accused of that with Mark Cuban. Mm-hmm. But we've never seen one team do all of those things at one time. And so this really is just a crazy situation. And I think when I think specifically about the future, I think you're right that the investigation has to finish first. Like you mm-hmm. the fact finding is so important. Right. And there and there might even be a legal reason why you can't actually fire someone until all that fact finding is done. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you might not have justifiable cause to to remove someone from ownership or to fire them but i think that there might come a point where the or the washington football team says the more that this gets investigated the worse and worse it ends up looking for us so we might as well just you know so he could be that's possible that's true he, he could be forced in a, not not hard pressure but soft pressure forced to sell the team just mm-hmm. as a way to kind of end this investigation just kind of like as a condition to kind of just and the investigation, he's forced to sell a team. They kind of get a clean slate. So that'd be kind of that would be a kind of soft pressure. If yeah. he doesn't do that, and the investigation goes to its full completion, I can't see a scenario in which he can be allowed as an owner. No, remember, and I think if they did, it would be a terrible mark on the NFL. 
it would be a terrible mark on the NFL morally, but just let me be really practical for a second. He's an NFL owner who, according to these, this report to the Federal Trade Commission, was defrauding the other 31 NFL owners mm-hmm. yeah. who are the only people who are able to remove him from his position. Right. It's like, he, he, I don't know how he could walk into the owner's meeting and sit at a table with those men after what he's done, not not to the cheerleaders, not to the female employees, not to mm-hmm. the not to John Gruden, but to the other owners in that room. Like what right. he's done specifically to them, I can't see how they would allow him to continue to be one of their peers. I just, yeah. it doesn't make any sense to me. It does seem like the further things go, I mean, even just in terms of damage limitations for the NFL, you know, the, the Washington Commanders are a very dark mark on the NFL's resume right now. And everyone is talking about it every time a news story comes out. It is a very bad look for the league. And I, I don't know, I didn't do any extra reading on this beforehand. I don't know if there's any examples that come to mind for you, but I'm struggling to think of a sports franchise that has been so just shot through with bad story after bad story. Uh, I just don't know how you how you fix it. Like it has to start with a new owner, but you basically, to fix it, you have to overturn basically the entire organization from top to bottom, it sounds like. Yeah, I certainly can't remember it for like this long a period of time. Because it's been going back years, and even mm-hmm. before this happened, you know, I mean, since he took, he took over in '99, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. I mean, it, right. it, and it has been ever since then. It seems like, yeah, and even before. I mean, if you think about, like they've just been the franchise embroiled in controversy even before any of these legal investigations were taking place. They were getting criticized every single year for not changing their name. Mm-hmm. from the racist name it was and you know once they finally did agree to do that that was considered years late and very tone deaf and you know it they they've been a mismanaged franchise for so long and dan snyder really hasn't had a success like he's not he's no. not a winning coach he's not a two, winning three owner. playoff wins yeah. Like that? yeah he's not a winning owner he's not a popular owner and he's not an owner who has a good moral track record mm-hmm. he only generates bad headlines He's arguably the worst owner in American sports right now. That's pretty definitively easy I think to that's say. Per- I think that's pretty true, yeah. And, I, yeah, again, I, I can't see a scenario in which he is allowed to remain. I think the question is what you said is, is how long is it going to take for us for everything to be determined for that to happen? Like, right. is this investigation going to run its full course? Are they going to let other organizations, like if the, if the House finishes their investigation, and they want to, if the F, if the FEC wants, if the Federal Trade Commission wants to bring charges, at that point it goes to the FBI, and then more. So this, I mean, this could continue to drag out because the Federal Trade Commission has, you know, an actual case now with these allegations mm-hmm. that they can pursue formal criminal legal proceedings against Dan Snyder and this team. I mean, yeah, it's it's fraud is what it's going to amount to if it yeah. comes out to be true. Yeah, right. Which comes with like jail time. And mm-hmm. many, yeah. So like, yeah, it's just. It's crazy that this is happening, and it's crazy that it's been happening for this long. And whenever the story starts to die, something always comes back to reignite it. Something yeah, I hadn't thought about them in, in, in months, and then all of a sudden that came out. I was like, what on earth? Yeah, they can't get a break. Um, they shouldn't get a break until this is over. But No, no. <laughs> I, I think that this case is substantially, when you take everything into account, this case is substantially worse than the Donald Sterling incident. And oh, not, yes, not to 100%. like. Con- because what Donald Sterling did was reprehensible and horrible, and I under—I—I I, I don't think any African American NBA player would have felt comfortable playing for him, and so. 
it, they had to sell the team. He had, he had to be forced to sell the team just because I don't think the players would continue playing for a guy like that. But when you look at everything in this case, I think this is substantially worse. And I don't, th- I don't think the NFL has a precedent of forcing someone to sell a team. Um, so. And so this would be a big step, but it is a step that the other 31 owners and the commissioner are able to take if they have the courage to do so. Mm-hmm. The last point is, and this was not the case in the NBA with Donald Sterling, but just to kind of play play the other side, the reason why you wouldn't do this if you were one of the other 31 owners is because once you start it, that sets the precedent for what kind of behavior other owners can lose their team for. I'm not saying I have any allegations that other owners have engaged in similar behavior, but it's certainly not outside the realm of possibilities. And once you once you force an owner to sell the team the first time, at that point there's a line, and the line becomes clear, and it becomes written mm-hmm. out on paper, and it becomes definite. And at that point, every owner is held to the same level of scrutiny. And I don't know if every other owner wants to be held to the same level of scrutiny. All it's, I'm going to say... It's just a thought. All I'm going to say... Is there's a reason that vote has not happened already? Yeah, that's right. I, you know, I don't, again, I don't have any specific the investigations names. haven't been pushed. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason the NFL has tried to hide a lot of those email chains and results. And there's a reason when the investigation starts happening that ties to other teams start happening, like with John Gruden. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. not a coincidence. Yeah. My, my last thought on this, John, is the way, is the role of the commissioner in this. Because I don't know, I don't know if you were following following the NBA with the Donald Sterling incident happened. No, um, no. But that incident happened within Adam Silver's first year of being commissioner. Mm-hmm. He had just taken over from David Stern like a few months before, and this was that Donald Sterling incident was really his first major decision he had to make as a, as the NBA commissioner, and the decision that he made gave him so much credit and so many inroads with the players that he has a very unique relationship with NBA players than mm-hmm. other than other sports commissioners do. In right. many ways, he feels that his role is to bridge a partnership between the owners and the players. Right. And the NBA, more so than other leagues, at least has the appearance and in many ways the practice of treating players like equals. Right. And a lot of that was because of Adam Silver listening to the players over one of his own bosses, the owner, and making an incredibly difficult choice to side with the players against that owner. And when you look at other commissioners, like Rob Manfred particularly, but especially Roger Goodell, <laughs> they have very combative relationships with players. Right. And their perception of them is completely different. And so it might be too late for Roger Goodell to repair that relationship that he has with the players. I think this would be a long way toward that. But mm-hmm. it's just interesting how Adam Silver used an opportunity like this to really cement himself as a great commissioner while other commissioners have really struggled with that balance and they've treated players more as an adversary than they have as a partner. And again, like I've said, Adam Silver is the best commissioner in sports right now. It's not close. That that was a big reason why. But we've seen other commissioners constantly, continually drop the ball. We talked well, about I mean, Rob Manfred. With Manfred, yeah, obviously. Yeah, we talked about him just during the World Series with his, inter- with mm-hmm. his interview he did before the World Series and just how much of a travesty that travesty. Yeah, that and was. then the whole lockout, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, he did not have a good relationship with the players, and the players no. don't like him at all. No, no. I don't think Roger, Ma- Roger Goodell is liked by many players either. Well, that's what's interesting. A b- brief side note, you know, I wonder, you know, obviously the players can't really talk about it, but 
you know, I'm sure that this situation plays a lot into the locker room situation on the commanders. You know, I don't think, you know, the longer that stuff goes, obviously I think it has played a role probably throughout Snyder's entire time there in their lack of success that when you have that level of corruption and mismanagement, you know, it is, you know, it, 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 it doesn't help your organization's you know, kind of team spirit. Um, and I'm sure right now it's even worse than it's been in the past. Um, so I think that's just another another kind of side note. You know, like the, the players on that team, you know, both are kind of a part of that, but they're also, you know, suffering from just the entire state of the organization right now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we talked about kind of also how just when there's like a lot of like unknowns, it kind of impacts player decisions. Like if you were a free agent, would you sign with, with Washington right now, given all that's up in the air? It's the same with Chelsea in the Premier League. Like there's kind of been, there's going to be like this mass exodus out of Chelsea, not because they're not happy at Chelsea, but just because everything is up in limbo. There's so much uncertainty about the future of the club and players are seeing opportunity elsewhere and they're taking it. And I, yeah, I, I, I couldn't imagine a free agent signing with Washington. I'm sure some will, but it's like, yeah. what are you signing up for? You're, you're signing up for a media circus, congressional mm-hmm. investigations, a potential FBI investigation, <laughs> the possibility of your owner being forced to tell the team. Like, that would just be a nightmare to walk into. Mm-hmm. And from a, from a media perspective and from a public perspective, it's the head coach, Ron Rivera, and it's the players who are the face of the club or right. of the team. They're the ones taking the media questions. I don't see Dan Snyder doing a press conference. He's not going to mm-hmm. talk about it. He's going to hide up in his office suite and do his thing. Mm-hmm. The the people who have to take accountability for his actions are the ones that he's throwing in front of the, the cameras and the microphones. Mm-hmm. And that's the coaches and the players. And it's just, yeah, it's just a disaster. Yep. It is the ultimate disaster club. And I don't think it's going to be fixed anytime soon. No, I don't think so. Well, that's that's kind of our overview of what has happened here in this past week with the Washington Commanders. Uh, it feels somehow better and worse than saying the Washington football team. Yeah, it just I, it, has, it doesn't feel normal to me to. I don't think, I don't think I love the name. Mm-mm. I don't hate the name, but it it doesn't it doesn't roll off the tongue for me. No, no, it's not. I mean, it's not a great name. It's at best no. like an okay name. It is a a truly mid name. Yeah. Well, guys, that's it for what we've got this week. Thank you so much for taking the time to to listen to this podcast. I hope that it was informative and interesting. And like we said before, anytime that there's something with the Supreme Court or with Congress, we knew that that's, that's kind of right in our wheelhouse what we do on Absolutely. this podcast. So, um, next time there's a there's a new congressional court, make sure to tune back in and do do tune in before that too because we'll have a podcast next week. There is uh, always a lot going on in sports. All the but we've sports. Got yeah, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, MLB is in its full swing. Shohei Otani is already a lead again. There's <laughs> a lot going on. And we're going to be here to talk about all of it. And, John, do you have any other thoughts for the listeners before we get on out of here this week? Yeah, I promise I'll have watched both episodes of Moon Knight by next, episode, by next week. So, so you're, you're guaranteeing Moon Knight episode three and four next week, a recap? Yeah. Wow. Love that. Love that firm stance you're taking there. <laughs> I love Moon Knight. I, I would have yeah. watched it. I was yeah. just driving for 1,100 miles That's fine. over this past totally weekend. Totally understandable. So just, yeah. Was it worth it? Was it, were the miles to cut The miles to were 100%, worth 100% worth it. Good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Guys, you can interact with us on social media. You can interact with us by subscribing to this podcast so that every time that you hear it, it pops right into your feed. We're going to release. We try to release weekly. So, mm-hmm. you know, make sure to come back. And like I said, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. 
You can leave us a rating and review, ask us a question, anything you want. If there's a show or a movie that you want us to review, it has to be like somewhat in the topic of like fandom. Although yeah. there are other, there are movies we made exceptions to. Like, yeah, yeah. If, if someone wanted to talk about like 1917, we'd be down. Or you know, there are war movies, fandom movies. We, we're we're very genre. I would be completely uh, fine with doing an entire episode on 1917. I'll just uh, uh, go out yeah, and say that. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're we're two guys with with a vast amount of interests, and so we're here too to many. talk about all of it. So if you have a question or anything that you want us to discuss, sports or non-sports, please do let us know, and we will be more than happy to do so. And, and maybe uh, you can you can uh, catch us Twitch streaming sometime. Maybe we can start doing that for the listeners too. Just put that out if you have interest in in crunching tackles Twitch stream. John do does have John does have. I believe on this note, John, you have a viral uh, TikTok gaming. Clip. That's true. That um, is true. Yeah, talk about that. For a yeah, the the uh, the champion squad from back in the day, Emily and I have appeared in a TikTok on Apex Legends with over 10,000 views now. So that's that's very exciting. Yeah. Much more viral than this podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> 10,000 views? 10,000 views, last that's, time I checked. That's yeah. almost about 900,000, 990,000 less views than Mando got on his TikTok. That is true. Mando <laughs> is cooler than all the rest of us put together. We've never contested that. That no, has no, never been never a question. Been, you, may, you may have actually heard Mando a bit during, like I said, I've been podcasting from home today, and I know he's been a little bit, a little vocal, so we'll have to get him on the podcast sometime, see what he thinks about. 100%. Well, guys, like we said, until next week, we hope you all continue to be well and be safe, and we will talk to you later. All right, take care, guys. Cheers. Cheers.